Let's go back to the book of Joshua today. Can we do that? Go back to the book of Joshua, and I want to ask you again to join me in Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9, a nation deceived is going to be our focus this morning from the second half of the book of Joshua, a nation deceived. But here's what I want you to understand this morning at the outset of the message. Everything that I say about a nation being deceived can be applicable to us personally and can be applicable to us corporately as a church. And yes, churches, churches can be deceived. Pastors and ministry staff and other leaders can be deceived and begin following paths that lead that ministry away from biblical truth. And we do not want to be one of those. Amen. If you were with us last week, then you know that Joshua and the leaders of the nation and thus the entire nation were deceived by a group of Gibeonite men. These men made as though they were travelers from, from far, far away and they came to Joshua and the other men in an effort to make peace with them. Their request was this, would you make a league with us or, or would you enter into a covenant agreement with us? But here's the reality that we learned last Sunday. These men had only traveled at the most 30 miles from Gibeon to Gilgal. But here they came staggering into Gilgal, carrying these bags that were torn and tattered. Their clothes were dirty and ragged. Their shoes were worn out and clouded, it says in verse 4. The word clouded there, meaning that they were, they were covered with pieces. They were patched up. Maybe today we would say they were duct taped. I mean, even their food was convincing. Their bread, they said, was fresh and warm when they left on their journey, and now it was old and cold and dry and moldy. I mean, these guys played this thing up big time. And they were very convincing. I didn't get to share this quote with you last week, but I want to I share it with you today man by the name of David Jackman said this, in our personal relationships, in our church life, in our homes and families, as well as in our business and professional life, we are constantly under pressure not to follow God's word in complete dependence and obedience, but to make alliances with people who may seem impressive and charming yet will lead us further and further away from doing the will of God. We are not to be ignorant of the devil's devices. I shared that verse with you last Sunday. 
we must never forget that appearances can be deceptive. Indeed, they very often are. Church, listen, I could give this warning every Sunday for the next year, and it still would not be too much. The devil is subtle, and his arguments are often very convincing. And sadly, there are those arguments are often very successful, and through the years have led many, many well-meaning people of God astray. But there was more to these men's deception than just their appearance. Their words were deceptive too, and very convincing. I mean, they talked about God, and they talked about how great God was, and all of the things that he had done on the other side of Jordan, in Egypt, and in Ashtaroth. But listen, their deception was not so much in what they did say as it was in what they didn't say. If you read it over again, here's what you'll find. They didn't say anything about Jericho. They didn't say anything about Ai because those events were too recent for someone who had supposedly been traveling so far for such a long time if those men would have said anything about those recent events in the history of Israel, it would have given them away. And so what they said was true. God was great, and God did miracles in Egypt, and God did miracles at Asherah, but it's what they didn't say. Now, we're eventually going to get to our text in the latter part of, uh, of Joshua chapter 9, but I'm going to do a little preaching along the way here. And I'll start with this this morning. Not everyone, not everyone who comes to your door and mentions Jesus is someone you can trust. For example, a Jehovah's Witness will mention Jesus. But when you press them as to what they really believe and ask them if they believe that he is God, here's what they'll tell you if they're honest, that they'll tell you he was a God, little g. He was a God, but not God. And so they deny his deity. The Mormons don't mind talking about Jesus either. As long as you agree with their version of who Jesus was. And here's their ver version. Jesus was born as the first spirit child of a probable heavenly mother and heavenly father. This Jesus, their Jesus, is a created being. He was not a God initially, but earned his way to deity over time. The second spirit child was Lucifer. And these brothers, and yes, that is correct, they do believe that Jesus and Lucifer were brothers and that they had an opportunity to present their plans before what they call the, the council of the gods for the future salvation of those on earth. 
and it was Jesus' plan that was accepted. Lucifer's plan was rejected, and so he was cast out of heaven, and he took a third of, of the angels with him. And then came the rest of us. They also believed that men might one day earn godhood, and that women bear spirit children throughout the eternities as queens and priestesses to their husbands. Now listen, there's a lot that I could say right now. But let me just let the Word of God speak about that. Who is a liar? 1 John 2. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Church, listen this morning. Anyone who says that Jesus was not God from eternity past and denies that he was God in the flesh is a liar. Is a liar. And they do not have the Father. Well, Pastor, you shouldn't call people a liar. I didn't. God did. It's right there. And while I'm here, let me just let me just say that you need to be careful about whose podcast you listen to and whose television programs you watch and whose books you read. Because there are people out there who are not a part of the cults that I just mentioned but yet are as equally dangerous even though they are supposedly Christian. But I want you to listen to me this morning. It doesn't matter how many books he or she has written or how many books he or she has sold or how many books her Bible study or how popular her Bible study is in whatever church you go to. If what is in those books is not line up with this book, then stay with this book. Amen. Stay with this book, because this book is the truth. Listen, many once good, doctrinally sound ministries are just a shell of what they once were, because they didn't remain watchful. And generally, their story goes something like this. Those in leadership let someone begin teaching on some level and something they taught wasn't biblical, and it caught hold and spread like wildfire throughout the church, and before the pastor even knew about it or could do anything about it, it was out of control. So let's get back to our text. As big a mistake as it was, to fall prey to the enticing words of the Gibeonites, at the end of the day, the biggest mistake that Joshua made was that he failed to pray about his decision. Look at it. You still with me this morning? I know it's a holiday, but God's still alive, and it's still okay to participate. You can still say amen. Thank you. We've got guests today, and I don't want them to go away thinking, man, that's a dead, boring place. 
So help me. Joshua chapter 9, verse 14. And the men took of their victuals. In other words, they, they handed out their bread as, as evidence of what they were saying and trying to prove that what they were saying was true, that they were from a far country. They'd come to make a league with them. They, they, the, the, the assumption here, the, the, uh, the suggestion here is that they handed them their bread and, and they looked at it and, and they may have even tasted it. I, I don't know. But they, they, they looked at their victuals and here it is, and ask not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. Let us be reminded again that no proposed course of conduct can be so clear to a Christian as to excuse him from the duty of seeking direction from above. Oh, but preacher, this is a no-brainer. I mean, anybody can see this. You better pray. You better pray. How many would admit this morning that it's been those times when you didn't seek the Lord, you didn't seek counsel of the Lord, you didn't seek counsel from the spiritual leaders in your life, and you just acted on impulse based on your own perception, and you'd say, preacher, those are some of the worst mistakes I've ever made. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or how about this? You did pray, and you did seek the counsel of the Lord, and you did seek the counsel of the spiritual leaders in your life, but you went on to do what you wanted to do instead of what you knew God wanted you to do. How do you say that never ends well? Never ends well. And can I just add something here that I read this week that is so spot on? It's Pastor Kurt Skelly, and he said this. If I'm seeking counsel only from those whom I perceive will agree with my intended choice, I'm not actually seeking counsel at all. I'm just trying to make myself feel better. (laughs) That's good. In the case of Joshua, it's not that the Lord's direction was unavailable to him, but that it was ignored. And it's not that he and his men were were sloppy in their investigation. It's that they were alone in their decision. And it wasn't that they didn't think. It's that they didn't pray. The Israelites were deceived. And we will be deceived when we rely on our own perceptions rather than on divine direction. Let me say it again. The devil is subtle. And though he's depicted in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 as a roaring lion, I still contend that he does his best work among God's people when he, when he serves as a serpent, as in the Garden of Eden, and he slithers his way into our lives. It's much easier Warren Wiersbe said, we read this last week, it's much easier for us to identify the lion when he's roaring than to detect the serpent when he's slithering into our lives. Listen, if it seems too good to be true, then most of the time it is. 
And I'm guessing there are some folks here this morning that have a story to tell about that. And it could be, listen, it could very well be the devil trying to slither his way into your marriage. Or trying to slither your way, his way, into a family relationship or, or your finances or into your future or into your social media life. Listen to me, be careful. Be careful. Okay, enough with the devil deceiving us. Let's talk about what happens when a... When the devil deceives a nation. Because I'm convinced this morning that that's exactly what has happened to the land we love. America has been deceived. The truths and values upon which our country was founded are under serious attack by the enemy. We need to see where we have believed Satan's lies and what it will take to recover. The, the depth of deception calls, I believe, for national repentance. But honestly, it doesn't look as though our country is showing any signs of national repentance. And that leads to nothing but more trouble on the horizon. So what happens when a nation is deceived? Well, according to verse 16, they don't see it initially. Look at it. Chapter 9, verse 16. And it came to pass at the end of how many days, church? Three days. After they had made a league with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors and that they dwelt among them. So Joshua and the men make a league with these men from Gibeon, but it takes them three days to realize that they had just made an unbiblical alliance with people that, that they were not supposed to be aligned with, but by the time they realized it, it was too late. Those who were responsible for passing the law in 1962 that banned prayer in our public schools were deceived. I'm telling you, they were deceived into thinking that it was the right thing to do. Boy, were they wrong. Look at where it's gotten us. Many in our nation years ago began believing the lie of evolution. Instead of taking God at His Word that says that we are made in the image and the likeness of God. And when they began buying into this deception that we're not divinely created, that we evolved and we're just a higher form of, of, of some animal, then that easily led to the acceptance of another lie. That an unborn child is not a human being. Come on. And since the Roe v. Wade decision was handed down in 1973, there have been between 50 and 60 million murders of innocent children because we have been deceived. And we didn't even know it until it's gotten so far out of hand that only God's intervention is going to make a difference. 
Listen, these babies were created in the, in the image of God and endowed with certain unalienable rights. But they are being denied the opportunity to enjoy those rights by a nation that has been deceived. God help us. Another deception that our nation has bought into is that homosexuality is normal rather than abnormal as taught in the Word of God. Listen to these Spirit-inspired words. Say, preacher, you're preaching that on a Sunday morning? Listen, we need to hear it. I'm not going to hide away on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night to preach this. We need to hear the truth. Besides, as you preach through a book of the Bible, you think somebody's not going to notice that I jump over some verses and go to the next passage? Hello? It is what it is. And we need to accept the truth this morning that we have been deceived. Listen to what the Word of God says. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly. And receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was me. Clearly, one is deceived who would approve of a lifestyle that is not approved of in God's Word. And look at where that deception has led us to in 2019. Men can now legal are you listening legally marry men and women can legally marry other women listen church just because it's legal doesn't make it moral and now we're experiencing the next logical step in this deception and it's this if a woman self-identifies as a man, then poof, she's a man. And we're just supposed to accept that and keep our mouth shut and just go on. And if a man decides to self-identify as a woman, then in some parts of our country, he can go into a girl's locker room or a women's restroom where your junior high daughter may be changing clothes, or where your wife or your granddaughter might be, and we're just supposed to turn a blind eye to that? No, thank you. No, thank you. I will not turn a blind eye. And by God's grace, this church will not turn a blind eye to that kind of moral nonsense. You know why we're here? Because we have been deceived. We've been deceived. Young people, listen to me this morning. That's not okay. It's not. 
And if we, we don't just shut up and, and turn a blind eye to it and accept it as normal, then we're called hateful and we're called bigoted and homophobic and judgmental. I want to say something here before we move on, and I want you, please, I want you to pay close attention to this. Our culture has accepted two huge lies. And the first one is this. If you disagree with someone's lifestyle, then you must either fear them or hate them. This isn't original with me. You must either fear, well, well, why do you hate them? Who said anything about me hating them? That's not the point. So we're preaching, yeah, you're preaching like you're hateful and, and, and you hate them. I don't. I don't. But it's okay for them to stand on a street corner or, or wherever and be loud and boisterous and in our face about it, but somehow I can't stand in the pulpit in a church and be just as loud and boisterous and passionate about it has nothing to do with hating them. Oh, well, you're, 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 you're fearful of them. No, I'm not. I'm not. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or everything they do. Listen, church, both of those are nonsense. Are you listening? Both of those are nonsense. You do not have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. Look, Tyler challenged us this morning in, in our Bible study about soul winning and reaching others. And that, listen, anybody is welcome to attend Fellowship Baptist Church. Anybody. Anybody. Don't fear them. I don't hate them. And just because I'm trying to reach them with the gospel and, and I'm not going to run away from them or be repelled by them doesn't mean that, that somehow I'm agreeing with them. No, it's just that I'm trying to be a biblical Christian and love people. Even if I don't agree with them. And I'll never say, well, I agree with you. I'll stand with the word of God. Am I okay? Am I up here by myself today? The focus this morning is when a nation is deceived. And the first thought is when we are deceived, we often don't recognize it initially until we start looking around and seeing the demoralizing effect that it has on our nation. Here's the second thought this morning. When a nation is deceived, its unity is disrupted. Look at verse 17. And the children of Israel journeyed and came unto their cities on the third day. That the cities of Gibeon. Now their cities were Gibeon and, and Kephara and Beeroth and kerjath Jerum. And the children of Israel smote them not. Because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation murmured against the princes. These verses present a sharp disagreement between the people and the leaders. The people wanted to break the covenant and destroy the Gibeonites. But Joshua and the leaders knew 
that they would live to regret that choice. And later in history, when Saul did break the agreement, it cost the nation of Israel. And it cost Saul personally. It cost him the lives of his two sons. You read about that in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Today there is a obviously, obviously a great divide in our nation between those who choose to stand with God and his word and those who don't. And it's getting more sharp and more divided every day. And sadly many churches have been divided by someone as I spoke a moment ago. Someone who became deceived doctrinally and started promoting that false doctrine among the congregation. If you ever wonder, well, well why are, are, are you so careful about who opens the Bible to, to the people of Fellowship Baptist Church in any setting? I'll tell you why. It's for this reason right here. We are not going to put someone in a position to teach the Bible who's not on the same page doctrinally. We're just not willing to risk the unity of the fellowship family. But not only has national unity and church unity been disrupted by deception, but so has family unity. Listen, I've been at this long enough, and I've seen this happen a number of times, where some family member buys into to some doctrinal lie. <laughs> and now their family's divided and that's sad. But that's what happens when deception comes in. Have I mentioned this morning that the devil is subtle? Three times now. Because he is. He's subtle. So be careful. But there's good news today. Somebody say, thank God for good news. There's good news today. Because when a nation is deceived... It can come back to the way of truth. Look at verse 19 again, or verse 19. But all the princes said unto all the congregation, remember, they said, come on, let, let's just break this thing, let's get rid of these people. But, but here's what the leader said, we have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This will be done to them. We will even let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swear unto them. And the princes said unto them, let them live, but let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water unto all the congregation as the princes had promised them. And then drop down to verse 27. And Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord even unto this day in the place which he should choose. Listen, the way back to truth begins by admitting that you've done wrong. In verse 19, the leaders admit having, having made a league with the Gibeonites. They said, we did it. Which, by the way, according to Deuteronomy chapter 20, was in direct contradiction to what God had said they were supposed to do when they went into the land of Canaan. 
But yet here they are. They admit that they did wrong. They didn't try to hide it. They didn't try to justify it. They took ownership of the situation and they stood by their word. Would to God our nation could find the courage to say we have sinned. As I said earlier, it doesn't look as though the land we love is showing any sign of doing that. But church, listen to me today. Listen. Even if our nation never turns back to God, that doesn't have to define how things go in your life. And with that said, I want to wrap this up this morning by focusing on us individually. Let's move away from us as a nation and let's zero in on us as individuals. Because after all, our nation will come back to the truth one person at a time. If somehow you've been deceived in some area of your life and have fallen away from the Lord, then the way back to truth begins by admitting you're wrong. Don't justify it. Take ownership of it. Listen, don't make a wrong choice worse by making additional wrong choices. If your sinful anger has gotten you into trouble at home as a, as a parent or as a child, or if somehow your, your anger has gotten you into trouble at work with your boss, then listen, more sinful anger will only cause more trouble. If you've gotten yourself in financial hot water by spending foolishly, then more foolish spending is not going to fix it. If your lust has led to sinful choices, then get rid of whatever it was that was feeding your lust. Spiritual responses to sinful choices of your past enable you to move beyond those choices into the continuation of God's plan for your life. So when you sin, own it. Own it. Don't make a sinful choice worse by making another sinful choice. And then here's something else that we learned from this story. If you want to get back to truth, then you've got to get back to doing what you know to be right in the Word of God. Go back and read in Deuteronomy chapter 20 what Israel was supposed to do in the situation that they found themselves, and here's what you'll find. They did exactly what God told them to do. They made the Gibeonites serve them and their purposes. The Word of God guided them into the way of repentance and restoration. J. Oswald Sanders wrote this. God frequently allows the results of our compromises to run their natural course, but uses them to serve our spiritual development. Say, preacher, what's that mean? It means this, that those who have been addicted to drugs or alcohol 
can turn their life around and begin helping others who have fallen into the same trap. It means that, that those who have made mistakes that have led to the demise of their marriage can help others avoid making those same mistakes. You see, God's grace can not only forgive our sin, but can also overrule it. Are you listening? Can often overrule it and bring blessings from it. Israel turned back to the way of truth by admitting where they went wrong and taking responsibility for their actions. Folks, listen, that's the same path that we must take. So let me ask you this morning. Where do you need to admit that you've done wrong? Think about it. Where do you need to admit this morning that you've done wrong? Is it in your marriage? Husbands? Wives? Is it in your marriage? Is it within your family relationships? Somewhere where you've been unkind and hateful and, and judgmental? And unforgiving? Is it work? Is it right here within the fellowship family? Do you need to go to somebody and admit, hey, I was wrong? Where is it you've been wrong? And you need to own up to it. Where in your life have you been living in disobedience to God's word? Maybe you've made some wrong choices. Pastor Tyler had uh, full transparency this morning and said that he is a recovering hypocrite. He doesn't stand alone. Where is it that you've made some wrong choices like we've made and you're having to live with the consequences of those choices? Listen, don't be deceived into thinking your mistake means the end of an effective life as a believer. Do you hear me? Say, well, I just can't do anything for God. I'm done. I'm washed up. He's through with me. Listen to me this morning. That's the devil. That's the devil. Do not let him convince you that you can no longer be effective as a child of God. Remember what I said a moment ago, and we're done. God's grace can not only forgive our sin, but can overrule it. And often, often, bring blessings from it. Would you bow your heads in prayer today?